Behind every angry impulse to turn over tables, swing the bat hard and crash the car glass, or at least comment repeatedly in all caps, there is a heartbreak, the unseen softness of longing to be known and loved, to be given a voice and a choice, to feel a part of something greater without losing yourself into this circle and this time Bring it all, every untamed tear and every embrace, every unfiltered fear and every mission of courage and love held deep in your chest, every hope for your children and the world we want to give them, the grief at the gap. Bring your joy at spring's abundance and your gratitude for rain and remembering the movement of partners living and dead who journey with us and call us to keep going, keep inviting, keep wanting more life. Come, let us worship together today. I'm glad I was away from the pulpit last week because it's taken me a while to think about how to respond to the recently leaked Supreme Court opinion about Roe versus Wade. You all know that before turning to the ministry, I was a nurse practitioner and my specialty was women's health care. I have volunteered at rape crisis centers and domestic violence courts and shelters. I've worked in teen pregnancy clinics gynecologic and obstetric emergency rooms, reproductive health clinics, and home visitation programs for pregnant women and new parents. For years, I have been immersed in the controversies surrounding women's bodies and who gets to make the decisions and laws about an individual's body. Too often, the laws seem slanted to punish and restrict instead of support the folk 
and need. For instance, I've witnessed times when a pregnant woman who had no resources to eat well, no safe place to sleep, and no access to health care was incarcerated for drug use. The charge was child abuse to the unborn child. The law determined the drug use was criminal without even registering the social criminality of the poverty that she was immersed in. I've been in the position of trying to help women gain access to adequate contraception that was restricted due to their age, perhaps due to their geographical isolation, such as in the rural Indian reservations, or to state legalized restrictions. I've had to sneak birth control pills to people and manipulate healthcare systems in order to provide what I considered adequate care. There have been times women hid in my home, fleeing violent partners. There have been many hours counseling and nursing bruised and hurt bodies. Ever since I can remember, there has been a battle over who can make decisions for women. It seems there has been a long-established distrust that we can have autonomy and freedom. I can't tell you how many reproductive justice protests and rallies I have attended over the years. My first was in Washington, D.C. in 1989, then Atlanta, Georgia, Phoenix, Arizona, San Francisco, and Seattle just yesterday. So I'm not surprised by this new threat to reproductive liberty, but I do have quite a bit, bit of passion about it because most of the protests have been against state restrictions. This one, this one though, this is at a federal level. There is more to this decision and that threatens me and all of us at a more existential level. So for those who have not been able to keep up with this, let me just give a short overview. In 1973, the Supreme Court issued a decision ruling that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution provides a right to privacy, protecting a woman's right to choose whether to continue their pregnancy or not. They established this as a fundamental right not to be restricted by states. But at the same time, they didn't give full access to this. They included language that said this right had to be balanced against a government's interests in protecting women in prenatal life. This is where it becomes very confusing because they tried to include some understanding of fetal viability and at what stage of pregnancy the government could interfere. And so without going down that rabbit hole, it's safe to say that since 1973, there's been a constant battle between the fundamental right of privacy granted by Roe and the extent to which a government's interests can play. Each state has weighed in on this differently. So here we are now with the likely decision that the Supreme Court will no longer guarantee the fundamental privacy of a person's decision regarding their body. The immediate issue is about abortion. While I'm bothered by the restrictions and the ability to access abortions, I also know that laws will never stop abortions from actually happening. Those of you who have money, who have access, will be able to get abortions. There's already a strong underground movement making access to contraception and abortifacts available, and there's growing funding to assist women in transport to states and clinics where safe abortions are available. 
Abortions cannot be stopped. But it is also clear that the impact of overturning Roe affects the most vulnerable among us. Banning abortions will simply make it more difficult for people, especially poor, rural, and BIPOC, that's black indigenous people of color, to access safe and legal care. But the existential threat that I am distressed about is the precedent this sets for so many of the rights that have been established over the last number of years. In his draft opinion, Justice Alito argues that laws must be rooted in US history and tradition and align with the intent of those who crafted our constitution and amendments. He writes the inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions we hold that Roe must be overturned. In other words, he believes we need to revert to a constitution written over 230 years ago by white property-owning men who did not recognize the legal existence of women and who did not intend to include the interests of enslaved black and indigenous people. Can this be right? Can we not change the direction of our laws and regulations if we find them to be outdated, archaic, and yes, morally corrupt? And let us be clear that there is a distinction between what is legal and what is moral. Just because something was legal according to the Constitution does not mean it was right. Peter Morales, the former president of the, United, the Unitarian Universalist Association, wrote these words. He wrote them about immigration, but they translate across issues. As a religious people who affirm human compassion, advocate for human rights, and seek justice, we must never make the mistake of confusing a legal right with a moral right. The forced removal of Native Americans from their land and onto reservations was legal. The importation and sale of African slaves was legal. South African apartheid was legal. The powerful have always used the legal system to oppress the powerless. It is true that as citizens we should respect the rule of law. More importantly though, our duty is to create laws founded in our highest sense of justice, equity, and compassion. Loud voices urge us to choose fear, denial, reactionary nationalism, and racism. We must resist and choose the better way urged by every major religious tradition. We must choose the path of compassion and hope. That's the end of his quote. Alito's argument that we must return to our initial founding constitution just does not cut the ice. It does not account for the evolution of our morality, nor for the fact that our founders were in fact human and they were wrong. U.S. history and tradition is deeply rooted in slavery, racism, misogyny, economic disparity, transphobia, and queer bashing. These have been legal, but they are not moral, and they are certainly nothing to aspire returning to. Outside with Love advocates at the UUA National Office write these words. 
The truth is that the conversation about abortion and reproductive rights has always been about Christian nationalism, misogyny, and white supremacy. Under the guises of religious liberty and states' rights, the white, earning class Christian right has been working since the end of the Civil War to subjugate and criminalize black and brown bodies, maintain power, and hoard wealth. In the post-Roe era, with the rise of the evangelical right, politicians quickly discovered that abortion was a highly motivating electoral issue to their base, and they have been waging cultural wars ever since. Meanwhile, the Christian right has ensured that unless you are urban, white, and middle class, you are likely to face significant barriers to obtaining an abortion, even if it is technically legal. If the Supreme Court does renege on its commitment to Roe, it will be an intentional choice to side with white supremacy and Christian nationalism, and it will be an attack on all people with uteruses, particularly and especially BIPOC, poor, rural, and disabled people. It will have immediate and deadly consequences for millions of people. It also threatens to be the first move down the path to overturn everything having to do with the right about privacy. That includes things like interracial marriage, same-sex marriage, contraception, parents' homeschooling, and teaching and learning language other than English. There have been already statements from conservative politicians that these will be challenged next. We are already seeing attacks on the rights of trans people with laws restricting what they can do with their bodies. There are laws being crafted to criminalize gender-affirming health care despite the evidence of how life-affirming and essential this is. I have a great deal of passion about this because this decision will hurt people. This will hurt some of you here and it may hurt all of us. It threatens our very being, our sense of self that is intractably connected to the control of our bodies. My friends, there is work to be done. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. You know we can't be, I know you can't all be out on the streets protesting. But if you can, you need to. And if you can't, do something else. Call your legislators. Donate funds to helping others access abortions. Put up signs in your windows of your homes. Offer rides or bail money to those engaged in civil disobedience. Talk to your family and friends about why this is important. Do not rest. Recognizing, people, recognizing people's inherent worth and dignity is the only way that society moves forward together. Justice, equity, compassion, and the right of conscience must be promoted and protected. And if we're going to respect the interdependent web of which we are all existence, then our liberation must be a collective liberation. There's serious work to be done, and as people of faith, it is ours to do. Blessed be. Amen. <laughs>